I'm Donna. And I'm Carrie. And we are Paranormal Chicks. Episode 58. And we have a little bit different shit happening today. Mm-hmm. We have a surprise. Which we hope y'all like. But y'all are just like us, mm-hmm. so we know you're going to like it. <laughs> I'm pretty sure most of y'all have heard of the podcast Mile Marker 181. If you haven't, you have now. <laughs> and it is so good. It's by a podcaster by the name of Emily Nestor, and it's it's like it's not like this. It's like investigative journalism. <laughs> it's serious. It's yeah, it's serious. But you can totally see her personality come out in it. Mm-hmm. And so we actually are the first people to interview Emily on a podcast. Yes, pop that cherry. <laughs> And hers, and ours, and everybody's. Our first interview, her first interview, and it went well. Yeah, I think so, too. She probably was like, these girls are cuckoo ca <laughs> I mean, yeah, we are like, it went well. And she's like, never, never again. again. <laughs> <laughs> so what we're going to do today is class. <laughs> That's how I said it. So what we want to do is, in honor of her podcast and our great interview with her, we're going to play the interview at the end. So you have to stay tuned and hear this interview, learn more about the podcast, learn more about Emily. Spoiler alert, she has some really cool friends. And breaking news. Oh, yeah. And if you're an Emily huge fan and you already listen to the podcast, you need to stay tuned because she is breaking some serious seriousness. Yes. Up She's in giving the, the good good. Yeah. So if you love her, you want to know what she got going on, stay tuned too. Everybody stay tuned. <laughs> stay tuned too. The other thing that we wanted to do is we wanted to stay with our stories in the same state slash area. Yeah, because it covers, like, two states. Because like, it happens in the Mid-Ohio Valley, right? hmm And so my story is going to be in West Virginia. Mine, too. Okay. Well, then, bing, check. <laughs> so it's all a theme. Oh, yeah. You know what? We picked a theme. Category is West Virginia. hmm So thank you all for tuning in. Thank you, Emily, for letting us interview you. We had so much fun. Yes. All right. Picture it. Elva Zona Hester. We're going to call her Zona. Okay. Is that what all her friends call her? Mm-hmm. Okay. And she called me at home and told me. Hey, Zona. <laughs> Not Zozo, though. No, no. Don't. Why would you even say his name? I know. She was born in Greenbrier County, West Virginia in 1873. Going mm. way back. I was going to say, we time traveling. Mm-hmm. Little is known about her early life, but she was portrayed as pure and innocent, like me. Okay. (laughs) Until 1895, she was 22 years old, and she gave birth to an illegitimate child. (gasps) How dare she? Fast forward one year later. Okay. (laughs) I told you, not a lot's known about this lady. Yeah, so jump in one year later. I don't know what happens to the baby. Oh, Yeah, it never speaks of it again. I'm going to say that somebody adopted it. Mm Mm-hmm. So, again, one year later, in October 1896, she went with her family to James, this name, y'all, James Crookshank's shop. That is a tongue twister. Mm Mm-hmm. Crookshank shop? (laughs) 
Crookshank shop. And he's a blacksmith. Crookshank shop the blacksmith? Yes. Like, Crookshanks. He's going to shank your ass because he a crook. Right? Or he's got a crooked shank. It, look, nobody wants a crooked shank. <laughs> hey, that that could be okay. No fetish shaming. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, it was there on that fateful day. She met a man named... Crookshank. She did meet him, but he was crooked, didn't want him. She met a man named Erasmus Stripling Trout Shoe. So we're going to call him either Trout or Shoe, either one, not any of those other things. That was his legit name? Mm-hmm. Well. Erasmus Stripling Trout Shoe? No. Okay, say it again. Erasmus? Uh-huh. Strip, st- Stripling? No, Stribling. Stribling. Strout Shoe. Mm-hmm. No. Trout. Shoe. Shit. Fuck my life, Carrie. Pod Piper picked a pack of pickle peppers. How many pie pickers did he pick? <laughs> I don't care about peppers. I just want the peckers. <laughs> oh my God. I swear to God we didn't have cheesecake today. No. We had pizza. And I may have had a um, Rice Krispie treat and a half. <laughs> oh yeah. I had the other half of one. <laughs> and I was like, you gonna eat that cornbread? <laughs> Y'all, if y'all know what movie that's from, you are my people. Oh, my God. That was a really good impression. (laughs) But also, okay, so that was his name. But at this point, he goes by Edward Trout Shoe. We'll learn why in a minute. But he was a drifter who moved to Greenbrier to work as a blacksmith and start a new life for himself. Hence, Erasmus, not, Mm -hmm. I mean. Ed. Edward, not Erasmus, because that's fucking hard. The two of them were attracted to each other and, of course, had this whirlwind love affair. We're talking two weeks, y'all. Oh, God. But they were drawn together, completely obsessed. Romeo, Juliet types, star-crossed lovers. They were soon married on October 20th, despite the fact that Zona's mother, Mary Jane Robinson Hester which we'll call her Mary Jane. She had an instant dislike for Trout. Always was like, there's something fishy about him. But <laughs> I see what you did there. Mm-hmm. All right. They're married. They live together in wedded bliss for three months. Then on January 23rd, 1897, Trout sent Andy Jones, an 11-year-old neighborhood boy who did errands for them, He sent him to the house on an errand, I think for eggs, I don't know. But he was like, hey, go see if Zona wants anything from the store. So I think he was like, go get eggs from the store, but first, go see if Mm -hmm. my wife wants anything. When Andy gets to the house, he knocks, but doesn't hear anything. So he tries the door, it's unlocked, and so he goes in. And that is when he found Zona lying on the floor, where? At the bottom of the stairs. Did the owl do it? There was a great horned owl. Of course there was. (laughs) Just kidding. Fucking murder birds. (laughs) Just kidding. But she really was at the bottom of the stairs. She was stretched out with her feet together, one hand on her tummy and the other lying next to her. Her head was turned slightly to one side, her eyes still open and just blankly staring. Even though Andy's 11... He knows, like, Mm -hmm. she's dead. 
So what does he do? He runs to his mom's house and is like, Mama, let me tell you something. Mm -hmm. So she's like, she had an emphasis on that syllable. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But she's like, "Um, hey, Doc, we need you. Do they have phones? No. She did it with her hand like I just did. Okay. I mean, they had something. Pagers? (laughs) Totally. (laughs) It was like. Carrier pigeons? What, what, nine, zero, 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 nine, or whatever, and turn it upside down in its boob. Wasn't that it? Mm-hmm. With a five at the end in its boobs. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Anyway, so the doctor, of course, he takes forever to get there. It's like, well, I say forever, but it's like an hour. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, they have horse and carriage, and you got to... So the doctor was also the local coroner, and his name is Dr. George W. Knapp. Like I said, he didn't arrive for an hour. And by this time, Trout had carried Zona's body up the stairs and laid her out on the bed. And in this time period, it was proper for the ladies of the community to wash and dress the body in preparation for burial. However, Trout took it upon himself to do so. Mmm. Sketchy. Mm-hmm. Very fishy, oh. as you would say. He dressed her in her best clothing, a high neck, stiff collared dress that covered her neck, and a veil had been placed over her face. And you're going to love this part, Carrie. While Dr. Knapp is examining her and trying to, you know, determine a cause of death, Trout stays by his wife's side, cradling her head and sobbing. Because... Fake. Yes. (laughs) Because... He's hiding her the strangle marks on her neck? Yes. Yes. So, because he is like, my wife, Zona, you know? Mm-hmm. Dr. Nat just kind of gives her body like a one-pass examination. He did notice some bruising on her neck. When he tried to look closer, Trout reacted kind of violent and not in the, like, I will kill you, but just like, like why? Yeah, why? Okay. You know, and like, kind of still cradling her, but kind of like lunged at him a little bit mm-hmm. of just you know, kind of peacocking to say, mm-hmm. "Scoot along, little doggy." See, that's when you say, "Get the fuck up out of here and let me do my shit." Exactly. Well, Nat probably was like, "Look, it's gonna get dark here. The horses don't like to go in the dark. Mm-mm. They saw Beauty and the Beast. Mm-hmm. Shit happens." So, he was trying to get out of here. What he listed her cause of death as is everlasting faint. Okay. Mm -hmm. Basically, a heart attack. But then he scratched that, like, and... Was he using a dry erase marker? Yes. And (laughs) that's legit what that sounded like. (laughs) Right next to his telephone, he asked. Okay. Then he said childbirth. What? Mm-hmm. But... Because she was cradling her stomach? I guess so. But, I mean, sometimes it's just easy to rest your hand there, okay, people? I mean... It's a you, table. I was going to say, I don't know what you do with your stomach, but it is the perfect resting spot for for bowls, mm-hmm. for my hands. Mm-hmm. No one knows if she was pregnant or not, but two weeks prior to her death, she went to Dr. Knapp to treat her for, quote-unquote, Female trouble. Hmm. Interesting. 
Okay. All right. So by late afternoon, two men who were friends with Zona were like, I volunteer as tribute. I'll go out to tell her family what happened. And they lived in an area called Meadow Bluff, which was like 15 miles west. And it was kind of isolated. So there was like a small scattering of homes and farms. But, you know, I mean, it wasn't like a highly populated city. Yeah. When she was informed, Mary Jane, her face kind of grew dark, and she said, the devil has killed her. The devil has killed her. If we nowadays had reactions the way that people had back then, like, could you imagine? Yeah. The devil took her. You know, like, could you imagine <laughs> what people would be like, the fuck? Yes. We see them on Cops. True. I'm going to tell you what you're going to do. On Saturday, Zona's body was taken by carriage to her parents' house in an unfinished coffin. This name, y'all, provided by the Hanley Undertaking Establishment. Is that not funny to you? Like, Hanley Undertaking? No. Uh, It was funny to me. Because it just was like, like, that's like too perfect. It was like they were meant to... (laughs) Like, you need a hand yeah. with that undertaking? <laughs> We're handly. <laughs> okay, so I had to patty Joe it to make you laugh. I'm just saying it makes sense. <laughs> okay. So Trout and a handful of neighbors presided over the move because you know he's got to be right there, mm-hmm. right beside her. So they said, oh, he is so devoted to her, even in death. He is not moving at all. Always there. Mm -hmm. Always cradling her. Well, then Zona's body was laid out in the Hester's house for the wake. This event lasted all day Sunday, throughout the night, and up until the time for burial on Monday. We know what a wake is. It gives people time to say their goodbyes and everything, bring food, you know, gossip. Could be called like a visitation or a a viewing, too. Mm-hmm. Not everybody calls it a wake. Oh, yeah, true. Sorry. The whole time, Trout is by her head, just like, which isn't... It's weird. It's weird, but I mean... To, to chill a little. Yes, it's weird, but I've been to places where like, the parent is by the child or, you know, in the casket. And like you say, your pleasantries mm-hmm. there and then hug them and yes. go. But he is taking it to a whole nother level. Well, I was going to say, but that's that's common here. Like, yeah, at, I mean, like that, I don't know if that's just the South. I don't know if that's everywhere. But here, like when grandma died, the immediate family, like my mom and her brother, stood by the casket the whole visitation, mm-hmm. or the whole wake, so that people, when they came by to see Grandma, they could say their, you know, condolences and stuff to Mom and Donald. So, like, I totally get that, you know? hmm But it's, if he's, like, at her head, like, still fucking cradling her head and, like, isn't budging, then, yeah, that's sketch. Yeah. And so he needs to chill it out. Like, you got, play it cool, bro. You want to get away with it? Play cool. Yeah. Well, those who came to pay their respects pointed out that he had some bizarre behavior because his grief would change from overwhelming sadness and just life cannot go on any longer Mm -hmm. 
to manic energy. So he he allowed no one to get close to the head of the coffin. And so he also placed a pillow on one side of her and then rolled up a cloth on the other, right by her head. Because mm-hmm. it was to rest easier. I'm like, okay, she don't need all that cushion. Okay. Mm-hmm. The pushing is over <laughs> right. and down the stairs. True. And also, he tied a large scarf around her neck and explained through tears that it was her favorite. Like, legitimately, you doing the impression of him annoys me. I cannot imagine how annoyed I would be like, (laughs) can I listen to you talk on 2.0? I mean, he's the weepy voice killer. That's what I'm saying. Like, talk faster. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, like, it's her favorite. You've known her three Three months. months. Whatever. And it did not go with the outfit or anything. Of course it So, didn't. you know, I mean, it's like, okay. Mm-hmm. Well, when it came time to move her through the cemetery, and it was close to a hill, so it was kind of bumpy, people noticed that there was kind of a looseness to her head. Hmm. Because he wasn't right there beside her at that point. So, needless to say... People started to talk. There was one person that no one needed to convince. It was Mary Jane. She was like, oh, you think that's sketchy? (laughs) So do I. Come sit by me. Sip this tea. Like I said, she had hated him from the start. That day at the blacksmith shop, she was like, I see you. "Mm -hmm." Mm -hmm. Zona revealed to her that he had been married twice before Right before the wedding. And so she was like, "Mm -mm, this is even more sketch because why is it so fast? And, you know, like he's new to town and now you're jumping in bed with him, jumping in marriage with him, Mm -hmm. like WTF. Well, after the wake, Mary Jane took the sheet from inside the coffin and she tried to return it to Trout. Like... Maybe it was something special of hers. And so, here you go. Because I think she was thinking he did that for Cushion because they're going through the mountain. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, so she could be in clouds, you know. Mm-hmm. And he was like, I don't want that, you know. And so, she's like, all right, I'll take it then. Because, like, you can't just throw that away then. Mm-hmm. Well, she was like, this kind of stinks, which, duh, been by a dead body. Right. So she's like, let me wash it out. She drops it into the basin and the water inside turns a reddish color. Then the whole sheet kind of turned pink and the water wasn't as murky as it was. Um, so if it had as much blood on it to turn, I'm assuming that's blood. If it had enough fucking blood on it to turn the water red and then to turn the sheet pink, how the fuck did she not notice that much fucking blood? Maybe he just folded it like origami. I'm Fake. not sure. <laughs> not sure. She doesn't have a phone, so I can't call her. Get with the program, Mary Jane. <laughs> so Mary Jane boiled the sheet and hung it outside for several days, but the stain could not be removed. So she interpreted it as blood stains. And so she's like... This means Zona was murdered. And from then on, she began to pray. Every night for four weeks, 
she prayed that Zona would return to her and reveal the truth how she died. And according to legend, a few weeks later, her prayers were answered. Over the course of four nights, the spirit of Zona appeared at her mother's bedside. She came first as a bright light, and then she would take form as an apparition. And the entire room would be bone-chilling cold. She would wake her mama up and explain over and over again how Trout had murdered her. She said that he had been abusive and cruel and that he attacked her in a fit of rage. And this, people, y'all, is about to get real. Uh Uh-oh. She said he attacked her because he thought she had not cooked any meat for supper. This motherfucker. And he needs his ham, people. (laughs) This bitch. Yeah. And she's like, I fucking cooked him meat. That would be me as a ghost. Mm -hmm. Like, no, no, no. I did it, though. Donna, you as a ghost would have to prove that you were right. Yes. Like, no, no, no. I fucking did it. I mean, I know I just said what you just said, but (laughs) I just had to reiterate how much you would have to be right as a ghost. Yeah. You would be like, hold on. I have receipts. (laughs) Yes. She showed her mom that he broke her neck. Mm. How to illustrate this, she turned her head completely all the way around to where her head was facing backwards. Okay, Beetlejuice. Right. So Mary Jane was like, I was fucking right. Still no blood, though, Mary Jane. (laughs) Well, she's like, look, this is all I needed. This is proof. She has repeatedly told me this for four fucking nights. Fuck Trout. She said, I'm going fishing. Okay. No. Okay. A short time later, Mary Jane went to the local prosecutor, John Alfred Preston, and she's like, I'm going to convince him to reopen the investigation on my daughter's death. She told him about the visitations that she had had for four nights, and he was like, "Uh, uh, okay, you know, very Mm -hmm. polite, very sympathetic, and they just spoke together for several hours. And at the end, he's like, you know what? I'm going to get the police and go talk to Dr. Knapp and just see what he says about the autopsy. He was a man of his word, and he did get people involved. Local newspapers picked up, and they reported that not only did Mary Jane believe that Trout had murdered Zona, but a lot of people were suspicious and there were a lot of concerned citizens. Of course there were. Yeah. After the fact. Mm-hmm. So the lawyer, Preston, he went out and talked to Dr. Knapp and he admitted that it was incomplete and he said, look, let's exhume the body And we'll do a full one. And they're like, no harm done. Because if Trout is innocent, this is what he'll want to. So all the rumors can cease. Mm -hmm. Let's just do this. So days later, they exhumed the body. And an inquest jury was assembled. The autopsy was performed at Nichols Schoolhouse, which was just a short distance Away from the graveyard that she was buried in. 
The school children were dismissed. They did not have to see this. Jesus, couldn't they have done it on a Saturday or some right? shit? It is reported that Trout vigorously complained about them exhuming her, but it was made clear that he would be forced to attend the inquest. And if he wasn't willing to go, they're still forcing him. Like, you have to be here mm-hmm. for this. Wait, so does that mean they do the autopsy and then they have, like, almost like a grand jury thing? Yeah. Or does that mean, like, he's got to sit there and watch the fucking autopsy? No, I think that's, like... Like a grand jury type thing? Yeah. Okay. So, when they're doing this, he's he kind of admits, he says that he knew he was going to be arrested after they did this. But he kind of said, like, through his... How do you say it? Like, side-whispered. He kind of, like, side-whispered, but they will not be able to prove I did it. Hmm. Zona was in near-perfect preservation because it had been so cold. Oh. hmm Kind of like that time that they thought the daughter was a vampire and they exhumed the body. Yeah, yeah, And yeah. they were like, because she's... But, I mean, she was in, like, the local crypt or whatever. Yes. Remember? Because the ground yeah, was yeah, frozen. Yeah. Anyway, there's that. So a jury of five men had been assembled. So they got there. Trout was there. Andy Jones, the little boy who found Zona, was there. And some witnesses and spectators like me and you. Mm-hmm. So while they were doing the examination of her body, they pretty much found her her throat. They found her neck had been broken. And so they told Trout, your wife's neck was broken. She didn't die of everlasting faint or yeah. childbirth. And he dropped his head and just looked so sad. And he whispered, they cannot prove I did it. The official findings was that the neck was broken and the windpipe smashed. On the throat, there were marks of fingers indicating that she had been choked. The neck was dislocated between the first and second vertebrae. The ligaments were torn and ruptured, and the windpipe had been crushed at a point in front of the neck. So the findings were made public, and he was arrested and charged with murder. He was locked up in a little small jail on Washington Street in Lewisburg. Everything was circumstantial, but they went on, and he doesn't really know what all they have, and Mm -hmm. he's... Flipping the fuck out. He said he was not guilty. And while he awaited trial, shit about his past started coming out. Uh Uh-oh. Again, he had the two marriages before. One was Allie Estelan Cutlip. And she had produced one child, but it ended in divorce in 1889. And then at this same time, Trout was in prison for stealing horses And in that divorce decree, she said that he had beaten her a lot. Mm, Bless it. In 1894, he married again, and this time it was to Lucy Ann Tripp. And she died eight months later, and the circumstances were described as mysterious. Hmm. He claimed that Lucy had fallen and hit her head on a rock, but not a lot of people believed him, and that's when he packed up left, came to Greenbrier to be a blacksmith, changed his name to Edward, and all that shit. It sure was easier back then to just, like, 
oh, these people, I'm wanted for murder. Mm-hmm. Let me just uh, move down here and be like, call me Edward. Yes. Well, and like your John List guy. Mm-hmm. That's, you couldn't do that now. No. All right. So, in jail, Trout remained in good spirits. It was reported that his grieving for Zona has ended. He's not the weepy voice killer anymore. Ugh. And, in fact, he has changed his tune. He announced that he has a lifelong goal of having seven wives. Okay. And since Zona had only been his third and he was still very young, which he was older than Zona, like, by, like, a decade or whatever. Shit. So, he was, like, in his 30s? Yeah. So, I mean, he wasn't, like, that young and... Not for the 1800s time either. Yeah. And so it's like, yeah, you might think you can still make the seven wives thing because you're killing them Mm -hmm. within a year. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so he repeatedly told reporters that his guilt could not be proven, blah, 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 blah. The trial began June 22nd, 1897, and lots of people from the community testified against him. But the highlight came with the appearance of Mary Jane Hester. Preston put her on the stand, and, of course, she's the mother of the deceased, but she's also the first person to say something's not right. Mm -hmm. So he wanted to make sure that she appeared both sane and reliable, so he kind of skirted around the whole... Your dead daughter came to visit you in a vision? Exactly. Well... Trout's attorney decides to ask Mary Jane about her ghostly sighting. And he was trying to make her appear flighty and Mm -hmm. fake. However, she did not look ridiculous because he continued to badger her and, Mm. you know, kind of say it was a mad mother raving about this and blah, blah, blah. However, the testimony was not going the way he wanted And so the jury was like, no, like feeling sorry for her and seeing her for who she was. And this angry attorney is badgering her. Well, so he's like, dismiss, dismiss. Damage was already done because he opened the gate for allowing the ghostly Mm -hmm. vision to be evidence. Yeah. Yeah. And the judge was like, don't think about that, you know, blah, blah, blah. Because, again, because it's not... It's not real evidence. Yeah. But you can't unhear it. And so... it speaks to her character, too, though. So, the jury quickly found him guilty. It only took them an hour and ten minutes of deliberation. Ten of them even voted to have him hanged. But it had to be unanimous, so he was just sentenced to life in prison. But that did not satisfy everyone in Greenbrier. On July 11th, 1897, a citizens group was going to do a citizens arrest. <laughs> Y'all know what that's from? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thank you. I know you do. Gomer Powell said it. Yep. Where's he from, though? Uh, Andy Griffith show. Yeah. I, just testing you. Tally for Carrie. So it was like 15 to 30 men. They, they don't know all of it, but it mm-hmm. was like a little local militia. They all got together eight miles out of Lewisburg and was forming a lynching party. They had bought new rope. They weren't going to use old rope. They had bought new rope. And they were armed with Winchesters and revolvers. So they started towards the jail. But a man named George M. Hurrah? Is that fake? Mm-hmm. Okay. 
He contacted the sheriff and was like, move him. They're going to lynch him. And so he was like, hmm, okay, let me tell him that he has a threat against his life. And he was like, quote unquote, greatly agitated and was unable to tie his own shoes. Well, yeah. Yeah. If you're like, they coming to kill you. Yeah. Like, <laughs> what, what do you think he's going to be like? Oh, okay. You know, like, come on. Anyway, I just thought that was so, like... Yeah, clearly he's nervous. Yeah, I'm like, okay. He said, I don't want to die today. (laughs) Well, so they took him to a place of refuge in the woods. That's where they... Basically, like, an outhouse somewhere. (laughs) No. (laughs) So they disbanded the mob, and he was saved, you know. Well, he was moved to West Virginia State Penitentiary in Moundsville on July 14th. And he lived there for three more years. He died March 13, 1900. And it was from one of the epidemics, measles, mumps, pneumonia, some fucking epidemic. So at the time, the prison just buried unclaimed remains in the nearby Tom's Run Cemetery. So there's no records kept until the 1930s on that. So there's really no trace of trout today. Mary Jane Robinson Hester, she lived to tell her tale a whole long fucking time. She was my mama. She'd probably sit on the porch. You want to hear about what happened? Mm -hmm. What happened was she died in September 1916. She never recanted her story. And as for Zona, her ghost was never seen again. But she has made a mark on Greenbrier County. And there's a roadside marker along Route 60 that talks about it. And it reads, Interred in nearby cemetery is Zona Hester Shoe. Her death in 1897 was presumed natural until her spirit appeared to her mother to describe how she was killed by her husband, Edward. Autopsy on the exhumed body verified the apparition's account. Edward, found guilty of murder, was sentenced to the state prison. This is the only known case in which testimony from a ghost helped convict a murderer. Dang. Isn't that crazy? That is crazy. So, like, it held up in court. Dang. So, it's different than what I normally do, but when I saw this, I was like, wait, what? Well, the thing is, had the defense attorney never brought it up, Mm -hmm. it wouldn't even have been a thing. But once he... Once he talked about it, then everybody else was like, oh, okay, so this is what had happened. Mm-hmm. Dang, that was good. But yeah, totally different. Not totally different, but totally different than what you normally yeah. do. Yeah. That's good, though. I liked it. Yay. For my story, we are staying in West Virginia, and we're going to head in some direction <laughs> to Morgantown. All right. Okay. So I want you to picture... Morgantown. Okay, Been there? Got it. Got it in my <laughs> mind. So living in Morgantown. Okay. Hey, this was in Morgantown. You know, I know where that is. Morgantown, West Virginia? Mm-hmm. Okay. There was a nurse there. Her name was Michelle Michael. Uh, in Morgantown? Mm-hmm. But she went by Shelly. Oh, shit. Okay. So Shelly is a nurse practitioner at Ruby Memorial Hospital in the pediatric ICU. Oh, gosh. I know. And one day she's at work, 
And it's about 1030 in the morning. She's been there since about six. She gets a phone call that her house is on fire. Oh, fuck. And she, she's like, fuck. She drops everything and she hauls ass home. Well, hopefully she didn't drop a baby. Mm-mm, mm-mm. She didn't. <laughs> she gets to her house and there's fire trucks everywhere. Her home is engulfed in flames and she can't get her husband to answer his cell phone. <gasps> Shit. Her husband's name is James Michael, but he goes by Jimmy. So she's calling Jimmy over and over and over again. and he's, Jimmy! Mm, Jimmy! Just like that. Meanwhile, my story is the one that actually has telephones. <laughs> <laughs> and she's doing it like it's 1980, I mean, 1884 or whatever, whenever yeah. your story was. Meanwhile, phones were probably created in like 1800. I have no idea. We had this discussion every Hold fucking on. time. I'm trying to remember Reba McIntyre's uh, telephone song. Back in something, I want to say 1774, but that ain't right. 1874? I don't know, but we literally, every time one of us tells a story <laughs> from that day and age, and we go, boop, like we're calling somebody, I always say, do they have phones back then? <laughs> okay, so tally for Donna. <laughs> Suri told me, Siri, what's her name? It's a he. Yeah, mine is a he. He told me 1870 to 1940, most by, like in that time frame, which is quite a span on my dad. Anyway, that's when most homes got telephones. So Tally for Donna, she can to call the people. <laughs> Thank you. So Shelly's trying to get a hold of Jimmy and she's like, she's not getting a hold of him. So they're trying to figure out, you know, is anybody in the house? They know that the kids aren't there because, well, together, Shelly and Jimmy had four kids. Like, they had two each when they got married. Both had a boy and a girl. And so, each of their kids were at their respective other parents' house. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, biological dad, biological mom's house. Mm -hmm. So, the kids weren't there. She knew that. But she's like, okay, but where the fuck is Jimmy? When the police finally get the, uh, not the police, they don't do that. When the firemen finally get the fire put out... They start going around and inspecting, and they get to the master bedroom. The door's closed, so they break it down, and they look around the room. One of the investigators said he was in the room for 10 minutes before he found the body. Oh. So, Jimmy's body was found among the rubble. ashes. Yeah, rubble and ashes. And so, they took Shelly into one of the police cars and told her that he was, in fact... Well, what they believe was Jimmy is deceased. And they said the body, of course, was too badly burned to tell, you know, to make a for sure confirmed identification at the scene. But they would do the autopsy and all that and confirm. But if it was him, his car was in the garage, like, stands to yeah. reason. Two plus two equals four. When the police tell Shelly that Jimmy's dead, she doesn't have the reaction that is... Typical. Again, we know everybody mourns differently, but it was weird. And so the police are just kind of going, hmm, but they don't know anything yet. And so they take the body so that they can do an autopsy. I think it was about 24 hours later, they were able to use dental records and stuff to identify that it was, in fact, Jimmy. Poor Jimmy. And then the next day, they realize that there's no smoke in his lungs, and so he did not die from smoke inhalation. He was dead before the fire was started. Oh, fuck. Dun, dun, dun. Luckily, there was enough tissue intact for them to take, a, like, almost like a core sample 
out so that they could do, they could run toxicology. At this point, Shelly and the kids had moved into a hotel because, you know, you can't, I mean, it's a, they're doing all the inspecting and all this kind of stuff. There was no, from what the fire investigators locally could tell, there was no use of any accelerant or anything like that. So they're like, we need help. And so they called the ATF in. The ATF is the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms. Well, and explosives, but there's no E. So while they're investigating, we're going to travel back and learn how they met. Where they started cross lovers, too. Mm-hmm. Shelly went to college at West Virginia University. And when she was there, she fell in love with this young man and got pregnant. Before the baby was even born, he dumped her. And so she went back home, had the kid, kind of got her life back together, and then went back and finished school and got her nursing degree. Did she keep the kid? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a son. While she was going back to school, though, she was a cheerleader. So just her personality is just very peppy and happy, and she was very smart, straight A's, like, you know, just kind of the whole package, right? Really beautiful, blah, blah, blah. Around that time, she met her first husband. And they, you know, they got married, had a, a child. And this time it was a little girl. And they were just living their life. She was a nurse at the hospital. I don't know what he did. Well, while she's working at the hospital, she is her kind of cheerleadery self She's very flirty, too, and she would flirt with all the men at the hospital, and which aggravates me, but whatever. <laughs> like, see, this is why I have, like, you're married. This is why I would have a hard time dating someone or marrying someone that worked in a female-dominated profession. Yeah. Like, nursing, therapy, you know, like, any, any of those types of positions where... Long hours. Yes. I don't like it. I've just seen it too many times where people have affairs with coworkers, and it, because, like you said, you're you're with them all the time, and you're with them for a long time every day, and I just it makes me uncomfortable. Anyway, though, stepping off my soapbox, but I'm about to be proved right. There was a respiratory therapist that worked at the hospital. Can you guess it? His name was Jimmy. Oh, and they both did he take her breath away? Oh, my God. Good one, though. And, of course, like I said, she's flirty with everybody. And one of her nursing coworkers was quoted that she can remember a time when, <laughs> this is so crazy. Like, who does this? That Shelly just, like, walked up to one of their male coworkers and did, like, a high kick all the way up to his ear and then just, like, laughed and kept walking. Oh, okay. You're just showing him you're flexible there? <laughs> At the time, Shelly and Jimmy were both married. They both had, you know, two kids. Both of them had a boy and a girl. And they bonded over their troubled marriages. It's always how it fucking starts. Mm -hmm. And so they start spending more time together. Yada, yada, yada. They take things to a romantic level. And so they both get divorces. Well, eight months after Shelly's divorce was final and three months after Jimmy's divorce was final, they got married and moved into a house just about five minutes from the hospital where they both worked. Mm. 
That's a good location. It really is. And, you know, Shelly had all these aspirations. You know, she wanted to have money and all that stuff. And Jimmy, he was a respiratory therapist, and he wanted to go back to med school because he wanted to be a pediatrician. And, like, one thing said, like, how basically they think he kind of – not lured her in but that was something that she found attractive in him just he has this drive he wants Mm -hmm. to be better he wants to you know live his best life even though they they kind of had a rough start as far as how they met and got together everybody would seem to be pretty happy with them being together they were like you know she was really good for jimmy she was outgoing she was all these things and so you know they just brought out the best in each other after they got married shelly went back to school so that she could get her master's and become a nurse practitioner after Shelly finished school, Jimmy decided it was kind of too late to go back to medical school because I think he'd even gotten into medical school already at one point, but didn't go because Shelly went back to school and they had the four kids and somebody had to make money while she's, yeah. you know, doing school part time and, you know, all of that. And so he decided to leave his job at the hospital and he started a medical supply company. So, you know, providing oxygen to people at home and wheelchairs and Bedside commodes, all those things. Oh, yeah. Walkers, you know the drill. Another thing that they kind of had a bond with is that with their kids, Shelly coached the cheerleading and he coached the football. Oh, dang. For their, you know, for their kids. Mm -hmm. They sound pretty cookie cutter. Mm -hmm. Well, Shelly was tired of like the long hours at the hospital, even though she'd just gone back for another degree to be able to do that. But whatever. She wanted to switched to part-time so she could stay home with the kids more. And so she wanted to start her own business, like a little at-home kind of printing company. So she could make, like, football jerseys and hats and, you know, kind of like a graphics company. Shelly and Jimmy were really good friends with this couple. And the husband, Bobby Teets. (laughs) What? (laughs) I knew you were going to crack up at that. (laughs) I was, like, prepared for you to laugh, and you still caught me off guard laughing. His name is Bobby Teets. So, the (laughs) Teetses were good friends with the Michaels. But Bobby also worked as a driver for Michael's medical supply company. Like, he would do the deliveries and stuff. Well, Shelly and Bobby had kind of decided that they wanted to form this partnership to make this, like, printing company oh shit Mm -hmm. they had everything planned out for the business but they still needed an embroidery machine fucking expensive fucking expensive so what do they do they're like okay let's see where can we how can we get this you know inexpensive and they're like there's a trade show in chicago let's go down there and see if we can find one for cheap so shelly and bobby take a trip to chicago oh no 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 He's going to go deep in her dish. <laughs> He's going to put his pepperoni olive on her cheese? Mm-hmm. So word on the street is that when they were heading down there, they're flirting on the plane. Oh, yada, shit. yada, yada. One thing leads to another. Was he feeling her teats? That was a good one. <laughs> one thing leads to another, and they ended up fucking. Oh, <laughs> as one does. I mean, you know... Everything I listened to was like, they had an affair. They made love. They blah, blah, blah. No, they fucked. On the plane? No. There. Oh. I, well, I was going to say, do you know how hard it would be to fuck She's on She's fucking limber. True. All right. So now we've got, they did buy an embroidery machine, though. Oh, well. 
So now you've got husband dead, no soot in his lungs, going to run a toxicology report, and they're trying to figure out what the fuck happened. Because this was just like days after they had gotten back from Chicago. Oh, fuck. They bring Shelly in for questioning because just to figure out like, okay, how'd this day go? Like, tell us what happened. Blah, blah, blah. Well, she said that their kids, like I said, were at their respective biological Mm -hmm. parents' house. And so she said that she gets up and she leaves for work around 6. And so she tries to be really quiet at home because Jimmy doesn't have to leave until an hour or two later than her. She said she got there, got to work about 6.10, 6.15, her normal routine. And then she got the call at 10.30 that the house was on fire. The police start doing some digging because they know they have weeks for the toxicology report to come in. They've got Shelly's side of like, hey, this is what she did that morning. This is where yeah. everybody was kind of thing. And they're like, okay, we have to do some more digging. So the first thing they do is they're like, let's look into this marriage that's supposed to be so perfect. And it doesn't take long for them to find Bobby Teets. Oh, shit. <laughs> when they interviewed him, he's actually the one that told them about the affair. But he told them... Just like I told you, they started flirting on the plane. When they got to Chicago, they started the affair. And he also added that it was an ongoing affair. Mm. And that just days before Jimmy had died, old Teets and Shelly had sex in their bed. The <gasps> bed he died in. No. Mm-hmm. So, of course, the police are like, okay, well, let's check in to old Bobby Teets and see what he was doing during the fire. Bobby had an alibi. He was actually working that day making deliveries, and he was in the warehouse during the time and he like of the murder and all, and he had other coworkers could vouch that he was actually there. They looked into Jimmy's ex-wife, Stephanie, but, you know, they had an ugly divorce, but they knew that Stephanie wouldn't kill her father's children. Like, you know, they're just, it just didn't line. It just didn't work. Yeah. So where did they end back up? Shelly. Mm-hmm. Shelly's alibi, though, was that she was at work at the hospital when it happened. Well, what do all hospitals have? Cameras. Mm-hmm. So they roll that beautiful bean footage, and they see her leave the hospital, (gasps) walk out the door, get into her car, move her car, Like, you know, leave and then her walk back into the hospital. And all of that was about 17 minutes. Oh, because they live five minutes away. Mm -hmm. So they're like, okay, well, you know what? We need to canvas the neighborhood anyway. Let's see. Let's see what people see. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And they had a neighbor that said, well, I actually saw her. I was coming home and I saw her pull out of her driveway probably about 820 and the video footage from the hospital showed that she was gone from 8.11 to 8.28. Mm-hmm. So, again, 17 minutes. When they bring Shelly back in a second time for the questioning, she doesn't have an attorney present. And they start asking her, like, did you leave the hospital? And she's like, no. And they're like, mm, well, we have security footage showing you walking out of the hospital. She was like, oh, I had to go get my pager. And then I came back. And you're like, mm, we have security footage of you getting in your car and backing out of your parking spot. And she was like, oh, well, that was because it was raining really hard. And so I was moving my car to the garage. 
which it was on the video. Like, it did look like a rainy day on okay. the video. But they're like, mm, for 17 minutes? Right. Okay. And also, we got an eyewitness that saw you pulling out of your driveway heading to work at 8.20. You know that ID show? See No Evil. Yes, that's what this reminds me of. Mm-hmm. And she was like, okay, okay. I did leave the hospital and go home, but I didn't want to tell y'all because I'm really embarrassed and I should have seen something because I didn't. She said, I had to go home to get this piece of paper that I needed to, to mail off that day for my embroidery business. But when I got home, it was in my car the whole time. Mm-hmm. And so she said, I just pulled it up, found it in my car, and then went back to the hospital. She said, I never went inside. And so she was saying how she was just embarrassed that she feels like it's her fault because she should have seen something. And if she would have noticed that Jimmy hadn't gone to work yet or something like that, because he should have already been gone, then she maybe could have stopped it from happening. And she says, but that was two full hours before the fire happened, you know, because this is at 8 o'clock, 8.20, and she gets the call, like the first smokes notice at like 10.20, 10.30. They also ask her about Bobby Teets. They say, what was the nature of your relationship? And she's like, well, we're friends. And they're like, "Mm, that's not what he said. And she tries to play it off like, you know, it was just this one thing that happened. You know, we were flirting on the plane. We got there. We ended up having sex. It was a one-time thing. Yada, yada, yada. And the cops were like, well, we got security footage from the hotel. And it shows y'all checking in. Kissing at the hotel desk. Oh, shit. Like, clearly this was not just like a, like, y'all are comfortable. Like, y'all have done this. Like, mm-hmm. this is not like a, oh, oh, this is our first time. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you're comfortable. And she's like, okay, I was just really embarrassed that I cheated on my husband. Yada, yada, yada. So, like, she lies, they catch her. She lies, they catch her. She lies, they catch her. Finally, the toxicology report comes back. I never said the date of this, did I? I don't think so. Okay, sorry. That all went down November 28, 2005. In Morgantown. Mm-hmm. West Virginia. The toxicology report did not come back until February 2006. So, a Whoa. solid four months. Okay, give me the deets. Is it the teats? <laughs> so, the toxicology comes back, and there is a a drug in his system Called Rocaronium. Rolls off the tongue. Mm-hmm. You say it. Ro-ro. <laughs> Rocaronium. Coronium. Okay. Well, apparently, there had been an anonymous caller that said, check in for Rocaronium. Because I what? bet that's what he died from. And this is a drug that is used in hospitals Rocaronium temporarily paralyzes you. Oh, fuck. Like, you can't move anything. And if you aren't put on a ventilator quickly, you basically suffocate to death. Fuck. And so, he was found with a lethal dose of that in his system. And here's the thing. It's not just like, okay, you're paralyzed and you can't breathe. It doesn't do shit to your head. No. One of the investigators said that basically this is like being buried alive. No. Which is 
like his death involves two of my biggest fears. Yes. Like not being able to move or breathe and knowing everything and fucking being in a fire and dying. I mean, luckily, quote unquote, luckily for him, he was already dead before the fire. But shit, I don't know which would be worse. Oh my god! And they knew something had to be in his system because they were like, you know, he was only thirty three, and so they're like, no healthy thirty three year old is found dead in a fire just laying in their bed, like completely just like laying there. They're either in a position. Of, like, trying to escape. Yeah. Or, at the very least, their muscles are contracted from the fire. Like, the mm-hmm. fire makes them contract. And he was completely just laid flat. And so, something had to have been in a system that, or, or, or he had to be dead first before the fire because it didn't oh, contract his God. muscles. So, the police figure out that on the pediatric ICU unit where Shelly worked, the rocuronium is not locked up. What? Yeah. I don't know. 2005 for you. <laughs> I bet that shit's locked up now oh, in West Virginia and Morgantown. So she could have easily mm-hmm. accessed it and nobody ever fucking known. She would have been like, ruh mm-hmm. it's in the bag. Mm-hmm. Once they got the toxicology report back, they're like, okay, that's the missing piece of the puzzle. We got her. She's arrested and charged with first-degree murder and arson. Oh, shit. So the defense took the approach of how in the hell could she have left her job, like left work, gone home, started a fire, and gone back to work and made it in 17 minutes? Well, because she lives five minutes away. Well, let's say, okay, devil's advocate here. You know it takes men two minutes to walk from the parking lot to in. You know what I mean? Like, in a hospital, yeah. like, for to be able to walk from, com- okay, let me take the elevator down from the pediatric ICU, walk to my car, that's at least two minutes. And then five minutes to get home, so that's seven. Seven plus seven is 14. So that's three minutes to start a fire. Kill him and start a fire. What if she did it before she went to work? So that's what the... By George, I wanted something. So that's what the police said. But so her defense is like, so the fire just didn't burn for two hours? Like, how'd that happen? Because the fire didn't blaze until two hours later, right? Well, when she was interviewed, she asked some questions too. And oh, like shit. gave some gave some ideas and that kind of thing. Cause she said, like, she said, What's the toxicology test for? Are you trying to see if somebody poisoned him? Oh, shit. And then she said, when they were talking about, well, how did it catch on fire? She was saying how, well, I guess the iron fell over and just caught the bed on fire. So, this is what police think happened. Before she left for work at 6 a.m., this is their theory. Okay. She injected the rocuronium, rocuronium, whatever that is, into him then, and then positioned the iron on the bed to catch fire. And then she went to work and waited. Well, by 8 o'clock, she hadn't gotten a call that her house was burned down. So <gasps> she's like, you know that she was in sheer panic for oh, that hour, have two hours. Belly. Oh, my God. I, I, you couldn't get me off the toilet. I'd have nervous mm-hmm. belly so bad. So at 8 o'clock, when, or 8.10, she was like, okay, i got to go home and check this out. Because she's, this shit hadn't caught on fire yet. Yeah. 
dumbass her not thinking that, okay, the cameras are going to get me leaving. Right. Like, hello, of course there's cameras in this hospital. If she would have just been patient, she might have got away with it. Well, do you remember during the OJ trial, if it doesn't fit, you must have quit? Uh-huh. That rhyme? Well, they had one for this trial, too. Oh, fuck. Does it say anything about teats? No. But it says, so how long does it take to flick a bick? Like the lighter, <laughs> the big lighters? And so they're saying that she realizes, okay, well, clearly my house hadn't fucking caught on fire. So she goes home at the 8 o'clock hour and lights the the mattress on fire. and Or, you know, the bedding or whatever. Mm-hmm. And they know that the fire didn't start from the iron because none of the, like, the cords are. And, you know, if something like that catches on fire, it'll kind of sizzle, like, up to the outlet and, you know. Yeah. They just, they're smart. They know things. And they know (laughs) that that's not how it fucking started. But there was no accelerant either. And so they're like, so what they did was, you know how I told you they brought in the ATF? Mm Mm-hmm. The ATF created six two-scale models of their... Master bedroom. Fuck. Down to the same paint, flooring, the ventilation was the same, everything. And so they were trying to figure out how in the hell did she start this fire and it not blaze for two hours? Well, it's possible. So because the bedroom door was closed, the the fire did not have the oxygen it needed Mm. to blaze up. So what happened was when she set the bed on fire, that fire basically was kind of put out. Like it it got big, but then it was kind of put out to like almost like burning embers mm-hmm. due to lack of oxygen. But before it was completely gone, the headboard fell over and like crashed and sent burning embers like all over the floor and all. Well, so basically it was like putting hot coal on the floor. Mm. That eventually, because it's a two-story house, that eventually ate through the flooring and opened the uh, ceiling slash flooring, and whoosh. oxygen comes up, and boom, that starts the fire. So that's why it burned in there and then simmered, and that's why it didn't start the big blaze for two hours. Dang. So, which is why, if you remember, the firefighters had to, not had to like break open their mm-hmm. bedroom door and everything because it was all closed and it all had impacted. And I think that's why they had such a hard time seeing his body because it was on the bed. Like, how the fuck yeah. do you miss his body on the bed? But how the headboard had fallen down over him, like, yeah. I think that's just why they had such a hard time seeing him. Well, Shelly was very confident that she was not going to get convicted. Mm-hmm. When she walked into her trial, oh shit. She gave her father thumbs up. Oh, no. Mm-hmm. Being like, they're not going to get me. Her Because her big defense was, again, how can you, how could I have lit a fire and then left home and then two hours later, my house burned down. Prosecutors had means. They had how she did it. I guess that's means. But, like, means as in, like, the medicine mm-hmm. and how like the how the fire could work but what they needed to prove was motive well here's the thing if she were to divorce jimmy she wouldn't get much right but if he died she got the house the business 
and his $500,000 life insurance policy. Oh, shit. Money, money, money. Mm-hmm. They had to move her trial, though, to Charleston, 150 miles away, because of the publicity. Mm. Everyone knew that flick a bick. Mm-hmm. Bobby Teets testified at her trial about the affair. And Jimmy's dad is quoted saying that he wonders if his son's murder ended the affair. Because he said, he came in, this is his quote, I came in the back door and I went into the rec room. Bobby Teets was in his pajamas and he had his arms around Shelly, kissing her on the neck. She immediately shoved him away when I walked in. And this was not the night before the funeral. Oh my gosh. Shelly actually took the stand in her defense. When she was on the stand, she says that, because, okay, like, one one article I read said that she had lied to the police, like, over a hundred times. Holy all the different Hannah. things. Yeah. And so, when she was on the stand, she had to say, like, what she lied about and why she lied about it. She said that originally she told police that she didn't leave the hospital because she didn't want her boss to find out and get fired. And then she said when she didn't admit to the affair, she said it was because... She was ashamed of herself, and she knew that everybody was going to be in so much pain over his death. She didn't want to add more pain to it by having an affair. Mm-hmm. And when they're like, well, what about the $500,000 life insurance policy? And she was like, well, that was for the kids. And she said that they didn't have any debt, and she's like, I have no motive to kill him. But she was the beneficiary, not the kids. So the prosecutor... How did they not have any debt? I don't fucking know. Like, because she went back to school? Yeah, but if she she was already a nurse. I mean, you have to be to be a nurse practitioner. <laughs> but she could have, the hospital could have paid her oh, tuition. true, 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 true. If she promised to work for him for so long. I mean, that's common. So, the prosecutor was like, look, I know that you, like, not I know, but he's like, he's trying to show that Shelly killed Jimmy out of greed. And... He points out on her initial 34-page insurance claim that she even claimed 12 bottles of nail polish for $72. Oh, hey. No, I know. I'm just saying. And then that she requested reimbursement for Jim, for Jimmy's dress socks, 30 pairs, totaling $240. Okay. You know, she, like frames and blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah. But on the flip side, though, like, that's kind of the point, though. Yeah. You have to do that. Like, how you get, you know what I mean? Yeah. How do you get reimbursed for all that stuff that you, if you don't put it all in there? I mean, if she had, I mean, when we Marie Kondo'd my house, how many bottles of nail polish did I throw away? Yeah. And let's just say, if those were all Essie, es- yeah. $9 a bottle, and I had 10 of them, mm-hmm. that's fucking $90. I'll do the math for you. Thank you. I do want to say one thing that, well, now that we know she's on trial and all that, spoiler, this was an episode of Snapped. And on Snapped, Jimmy's mom was on there. And he talked about, and I think that this goes along with last week's episode when we were talking about Carol and the bias that she faced because of her size and all Mm -hmm. that. I think it's important to note that it does go both ways in these cases because Jimmy, much like us, was an extra large pizza. And he struggled with his weight, much like us. And so he had fluctuations. He really tried to work out, but there were times where he, you know, it kind of got away from him and yada, yada, yada. And that 
apparently Shelly was really hard on him about his weight. Aww. And because she's like, like she was, you know, they're both in like their mid thirties and she's still doing like back handsprings and shit in the yard with the kids. Yeah. And, you know, he's, he's struggling. And so his mom was talking about that. She thinks that, you know, just his inability to look the way she wanted and just lead this life that she thought was perfect contributed to it too. He was worth more to her dead than alive. Wow. On all angles. And, you know, what aggravates me about that, because on Snapped, you know, they show all these pictures of them and, you know, the pictures from the very beginning, he was an extra large pizza. And I'm just like, you fucking knew what you were getting into. Like, don't go into a marriage or any relationship Try being like, well, I'm going to change that about them. Yeah. Because you're fucking not. And so, if that's the case, because that's just coming from one source, his mama, and, you know, you never know. But if that's the case, I'm jumping back on my soapbox. <laughs> and you fucking knew what you were getting into when you married him. And so, if you did not like that he's an extra large pizza, you shouldn't have fucking married him. You shouldn't have fucking cheated on your husband and ended both of y'all's marriages if you weren't going to be cool with it. Yeah. I totally agree. And that goes with everything other than weight, too. Mm-hmm. Like, if they have some bad habit or some... If they're a smoker and you don't like smoking, if they have a bunch yeah. of tattoos and you don't like tattoos, if they have a high-pitched voice and you like deep, sexy voices, <laughs> like, it, you're not going to fucking change somebody. Yes. And even if you, you they quit smoking... Mm-hmm. For you. One, they can always start back or resent you or... Mm-hmm. That that's just like a fracture in your relationship, because mm-hmm. it's like a, it's there. It's, it's always it's there. like a yeah. It's like yeah, because they did it for you, not mm-hmm. for them. Yep. Just like on Sex and City, when Charlotte's mad at Harry, she's like, "I became Jewish for you," or "I gave up Jesus for you." Yeah. And propose, and he's like. You can't bring this up in every, every argument. I gave up Jesus for you. Take out the trash. I gave up Jesus <laughs> for you. You know, make the bed. That kind of thing. It's like yeah. it will always be a thing. Yep. Now, in her defense-ish, I will say, because like I said, that just came from his mama. So you know how mamas are. It could not be true. But I will say also in Shelly's defense that Bobby Teets was a little bit of a large, extra large pizza himself. So the girl may have had a type. Yeah. You know, it may not have had anything to do with any of that. Well, she probably liked them because she didn't have to worry about them cheating on her because she would say. She, so she thought. Mm-hmm. So she would say, oh, they're dating up or they're whatever. Yes. So I don't have to worry about that. But then if, like, he didn't go back to school and do what he said, mm-hmm. and then she's like, ugh, I need someone else. Yep. And then went to another person. Which she did to this guy who she was going to start a business with and mm-hmm. all this stuff. It's like she was always trying to look for the next best thing. Yeah. She was found guilty of the murder and the arson charge. With the murder charge, she was sentenced to life in prison. But they were able to give like a caveat of with a recommendation of mercy. Which means she's eligible for parole in like 15 years. Ooh. And then... With the arson charge, the judge gave her the maximum sentence, which is 20 years. So, he also made the sentences have to be served consecutively versus mm. concurrently. So, 
if she were to get paroled for the murder charge, she would still be like 55 when she got out. She, yeah. She's going to have to serve at least 20 years if if she got paroled. Yeah. But I doubt she does. And that'll be in 2027 when she's eligible for parole. Oh, wow. Yep. She's actually, the last thing I saw was from like 2010 maybe. And Jimmy's family was in a civil suit against her for his estate stuff Mm. for the kids. And then both of their kids went back to live with their biological mom and biological Mm. dad. Wow. Yep. So that is the death of Jimmy Michael. Ours were so similar this week. Mm Mm-hmm. Which is never happens. I know. I mean, they were both in West Virginia. <laughs> well, we meant for that. <laughs> they both had people in them. That is true. <laughs> All right. So what did we learn? Be careful who you marry. For sure. Mm-hmm. For sure. I mean, if you think you're star-crossed lovers, hey, just, you know, go on the Goog Pay for whitepages.com. I was going to say pay just at least like a one-time thing for one of those background checks. Mm -hmm. Just uh, type in their name, you know, like in their sleep. Do like a buccal swab. (laughs) Whatever you guys to do. Right? I mean, hey, you never know. You can be rut road. (laughs) (laughs) Rocaronium. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, I think the other thing is that people are ready to hear from Emily. Yes. Without further ado, here is our awesome interview with Emily, and we hope y'all like it. Yes. I was in a hot tub the other day. It was, it was, well, this sounds weird. It was at a stranger's house, but I wasn't there. I wasn't there with a stranger. We had a mutual friend. So I was invited over there. And, you know, I'm in the hot tub for like 20 minutes and my best friend starts talking about like my trip to New York. And she, the the woman that didn't know me that owned the house and the hot tub, she turned towards me and her mouth dropped. And she was like, hold on, do you do mile marker 181? And I was like, <gasps> I was like how, have, how have I been in a bikini in your hot tub for 20 minutes and you just realized with oh not even gosh. from my voice, yeah, like not even from my voice that that and she's listened to all of it. She's oh like God. super into it. And I'm like, oh what is going on? Uh, yeah, so I, I mean, stuff like that has happened, but mm-hmm. never in such an intimate setting where yeah. I'm yeah. in someone's hot tub and they just <laughs> realize that it's that, uh, that that's what I'm doing, and they're like, hold on, I listened to your podcast. So, oh my gosh, yeah, that that's was so cool. That's going to go in a book or something someday. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I that mean, man. at that point, did y'all just like, you know, skinny dip after that? I mean, <laughs> no, she, it was so funny. She was just like, she stopped talking for like a solid two minutes and was just like confused by her own inability to recognize <laughs> my voice. She, she was like, I even know what you look like. I was like, yeah, but I don't have makeup on right now. I am in a bikini, which is not normally the way you see your <laughs> podcasters. So yeah, <laughs> it was, it was really funny though. Yeah. It's been weird. There's been a couple other times 
where someone's recognized me out in public or, or there was once where I live now, I live down in Charleston, West Virginia. I'm not in my hometown anymore. And I was in Sephora and a girl walked up to me. She's like, this is really weird, but is your name Emily? And I was like, yeah. She's like, oh, I, I listened to mile marker 181. She's like, I heard you in Outback earlier. And I thought that might be you. Then I, you know, I heard your voice and I was like, yeah, it's gotta be her. Oh my God. How <laughs> yeah, I was cool. like, Mile Marker 181 is an investigative true crime podcast. I'm a local to the Parkersburg, West Virginia area. And in 2011, a young woman named Julia Davis was killed in mysterious circumstances. Initially, it was investigated as a homicide that, you know, the idea was that she had been struck by her own vehicle acting as a pedestrian. It was closed in 2013, and it was ruled a drunk driving accident. It just so happens that the last group of people with her, they had had some altercations that night, and the last female that had been with her was also the granddaughter of the former sheriff of Wood County, which is the investigating agency in this possible homicide case. So I, I kind of take a look at the case files, which I've been provided with, and fact check everything. And you do an amazing job too. I love how much you. Well, thanks. Like, you, I mean, you stay true to the facts, but I love you know seeing your personality come out. All right, you ready to get started with some questions? Sure. So, of course, we listen to the podcast because it's amazing. So, thanks. <laughs> like, what made you decide? Because I mean, we we know that the, the little bit of the backstory that you were in Germany when it happened, working as a nanny, right? Mm-hmm. And so, yes, what made you decide like, okay, I want to like, well, I guess what came first, the chicken or the egg? Was it like, I want to do a podcast. I'm going to do Julia's story. Or was it like, I love this story of Julia. What can I do? And hey, why don't I do the podcast? So it was definitely the latter. I kind of had followed that case throughout the, the years, you know, that was 2011 when she was killed. And I kind of kept up on it on Facebook. Her mom runs the Justice for Julia page. And from time to time, I would just look back at the photos and things that her mom had shared and check in on it. So what really got it going, I didn't listen to my first podcast until a year ago, like in January. So Mm -hmm. I was not into podcasts at all. You know, my best friend is obsessed with my favorite murder and she got me into that. God bless. And (laughs) so- yeah, from then on, you know, and I've, I always have been into true crime, but I just didn't think, hey, that's a good way to listen to these stories. It just never occurred to me, you know, mm-hmm. nobody in my family listens to podcasts. Well, you know, they do now, but yeah, they um, better. Yeah, now, now they do. My mom's listening to Serial, which is my next thing after my favorite murder. I listen to Serial. And, you know, I'm not sure if I listened to Serial before or after I read late Michelle McNamara's I'll Be Gone in the Dark. Mm -hmm. So uh, I want to say that it was actually after, but I had read that as soon as it came out, I started reading it and, you know, I got into it really quickly. I really enjoyed the way she wrote and I didn't want to blow through it because now that she's passed, I know we're not getting another book from Michelle McNamara. So I kind of savored that. And I actually finished that book three days before they arrested the Golden State Killer. Holy shit. Wow. Yes. So I was already signed up for CrimeCon before they arrested him. And I thought, this is about to get really interesting at CrimeCon. It's going to be like Super Bowl on on steroids. Yes. Yes. And and it was. 
it was Beatlemania, you know, when they came on for the GSK panel. I was in mm. another room. I actually didn't attend it. I was like, well, you know, they've, they've caught him now. <laughs> so I was listening to a session on the Unabomber, but the room next to us just exploded. It was crazy. Have you guys been to CrimeCon? No, but could you imagine being the people like trying to lead any other sessions and being like, God damn it. <laughs> yeah. Freaking so, yes. pros are next door. <laughs> Yes. And, you know, and Jim Fitzgerald is whose session I was in and he, you know, did the forensic linguistics. He and Natalie Schilling, I want to say, they, they caught the Unabomber. I mean, that's how they found him. Yeah. And I'm in there and it, it, there were people in there, but it wasn't even half full. Everybody, I guess, was packed into that main ballroom and we were like an extension off of that main ballroom. So, you know, Jim has started his whole like spiel and then all of a sudden you just hear this roar and the people, (laughs) the people sitting next to me obviously weren't aware what session was going on in the next room. They kind of looked at me like, what the fuck? And (laughs) yeah. And I just looked at them and I, I was like, that's, that's gotta be Paul Holes coming on stage right now. So yeah. And it, and it was it. So it was Beatlemania. The whole, I mean, CrimeCon was an amazing experience and really that's honestly, that was kind of like the final straw for me with the podcast. I had gone there and I had started talking to um, some people in production and they were interested in this case. And I thought, well, shit, like, why am I waiting for somebody else to make something about this? Like, I'm capable. I can do a podcast and I'm a local. So, you know, what are the chances that her mom may be willing to talk to me? So I was actually at an event after hours at the Wild Horse Saloon that they had. And it was like it was more crime con stuff. I messaged her mom on Facebook and she got back to me by the end of that event and said, yeah, you know, I'm willing to talk to you on the phone. So a couple of days later we had a phone call and then the next week I had met her at a public library and she gave me, you know, almost 800 pages of documents that she, yeah, that she had gotten through the freedom of information act Mm -hmm. and all the medical examiner photos that, that she has not even looked at. Um, Yeah. I mean, can you blame her? Um, Right. And then, you know, pictures of her car, the scene, uh, you know, everything. So, yeah. And I think it's been really advantageous to as a local because I grew up. I know where all these places were without Mm -hmm. looking them up on Google Maps. I, you know, I, you know, when they're saying, you know, this McDonald's, that's that's right by my house that I grew up in. It's, you know, it's all, you know, and I'm, I'm thinking, before even looking at like a GPS, I'm thinking, well, there's no way you could make it from point A to point B in this manner of time. And, you know, just from, from living there for so long. Yeah. I was just about to say that. And I think too, you know, like you said, all the things about knowing everywhere, but also just the people and the trust that they have in you just because, you know, I mean, you know, oh yeah, I remember your mom and dad who, they worked here, you know, and so they just, it just creates a camaraderie that is just instant that I feel like would help them open up to you more. Oh, absolutely. It's funny, you know, and I talk about this in the first episode, the middle high Valley, there, there is no six degrees of separation. It's Mm -hmm. one degree of separation. (laughs) And it, that has kind of been almost the theme of this whole thing. Everybody is connected, which when you think about it, you know, if you believe that it's possible that Julia Davis was murdered, it really comes back to one degree of separation. Who do you know? What can they do for you mm-hmm. if yeah. you're in a bad situation? Yes. As, as vaguely as I can put that. Right. Um, 
I, tr- I try not to get sued. Yeah. Exactly. Knock on, <laughs> knock, yeah. knock on wood. Yeah. But yeah, it's, you know, I'll reach out to people or my mom will kind of put feelers out. She's like, oh, I know so-and-so and you need to talk to them. So I've actually gotten interviews that way. The way that I figured out who Kristen Bechtold's her her mother's fiance at the time of her death was yes. my mom my mom found it wow <laughs> um, i love that part cuz she's like you're not the only detective <laughs> yeah, yeah she said you're not the only one with detective skills yes um, and and she's not wrong now i i think mine may be better at this point um but it's just you know i grew up with forensic files that's what that's what she fell asleep to every night Oh, she's my soulmate because that's what I fall asleep to as well. Yep. Yeah. No, my best friend and I, we call Forensic Files bedtime stories. Like if we, <laughs> <laughs> if we spend the night together, that's what we put on when we're ready to, you know, if we're watching something, that's one thing. But then when we're ready to go to sleep, we put on Forensic Files. So mm-hmm. those are bedtime stories. But my mom, you know, she was also so jealous. I got to meet like the Dateline crew at CrimeCon and ah, she's so cool. madly in love with Keith. I was and, just about to say, is does yeah. she love Keith? And oh, do you she, follow? She, does. she need okay. She needs to follow the Instagram. Keith leans on things. Yes, yeah. That I, is uh, life. I Keith leaned on my head at CrimeCon in that picture. <gasps> no! so, yes. So I, I was like, well, I can't wash my hair ever again now. <laughs> oh my but, gosh, um, that's so cool. No, and actually, that's what I told them. I said, you guys were the soundtrack to my childhood. And I think it was Dennis Murphy who's like, what? And Keith was like, well, yeah, she said her mom played it, you know, all the time. You know, my mom does not 2020 Dateline. Going back to CrimeCon, we have not been, but we are going to be at the True Crime Podcast Festival in I Chicago. <gasps> yes. Yay! And that's what I was going to say. I think I yep. saw. So I recently got to meet Karen Kilgariff and Georgia Hart <gasps> Stark. Yes, by a fluke. It was a total fluke. So funnily enough, I used to bartend at a strip club. And one of the dancers, yes, this is weird. Um, (laughs) So one of the dancers, I had ran into her in line for a Lana Del Rey concert a year ago. And then I, yes. And then I was up, God, it was just over a month ago in Pittsburgh. And I was in line with my husband for the show. We had like balcony seats. God bless him. You know, he puts up with it. Uh, not his favorite. Yeah, not his favorite thing, but he puts up with it. So, you know, he, we had driven up there and I was flying out to L.A. the next morning. So I, I look up and I'm like, oh, I love that girl's shoes. And I look up and it's the same girl that used to dance at this at this club. And she came over and she gave me a big hug and she was like, hey, I have another VIP ticket. Do you want it? And I was like, um, is that a real fucking question? Like, are you... <laughs> are you kidding me? So, you know, I went up to my seat in the balcony with my husband. I had my VIP badge, like to get ready to do the VIP thing afterwards. And they gave you like a swag bag and all this cool shit. And I'm thinking it's getting like closer and closer to like curtain time, basically. And I was like, I could see her down in front, just sitting by herself, you know, her and her husband were going through divorce proceedings. So he was the one that was supposed to be there with her. And, and, my husband was like, you could have sat with her if you wanted. And I kind of had to be like, okay, I have to act like I don't want to do it. But yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. And so finally, just like five minutes before they came on stage, I went down there and all the VIP murderinos down there were like, oh, you ditched your husband to come sit with her. Like, that's so nice. I'm like, really? It's not self-serving at all. Like, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I think, 
in like the third row. So, you know, I, I ended up getting to meet them and those were some welcome hugs that I was willing to, oh to, gosh. to initiate those hugs. Right. But yeah. Oh my God. I mean, you, you don't turn down a Karen Kilgariff hug. You just don't. No, no you don't. But yeah. Amazing. So yeah, yeah. Kind of. Yeah. And you know, the, fr- the friend was plugging my podcast like the entire time. I was like, Oh Jesus. Oh Jesus. But yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> well, it worked. Yeah, it, it did. Yes. Yep. It sure she did. She shouted you well, out. She, yeah. She did. And actually, that's the first time I think I'm not a crier and I'm not a hugger. However, I was in LA when she put that out there and I saw it and I was like, I mean, I could have thrown up instantly. <laughs> oh. I mean, you know, it, yeah. And I was just like, oh God, I'm pretty sure I started sweating immediately. And <laughs> I, I called my husband and I was like, so I was so pumped. You know what one of my favorite parts of your podcast has been so far though that I laughed out loud at oh, was no. no it was it's a good when <laughs> when you were doing the interview um, yes Chris's interview with the crickets yeah, I because if you could like my facial expressions when I was hearing the information I mean you were totally conveying after it like how you said like your like you, your mouth open like holy shit you know with yeah. the amount of vodka and all that, like you were reading my mind i was like yes yes <laughs> yeah so it just that whole interaction kind of amazed me and i was laughing to myself while reading it initially and i thought there's got to be a way to make this somewhat humorous and you know some i've had some comments that people don't like that i try to insert any humor into it cuz it is a very dark heavy story mm-hmm. you know you're dealing with some you know, and, and also I, I'm not close with the family, but I know them now. Yeah. And, you know, this is a real person, but, you know, even, even Julia's mother has to, we have to laugh about certain things. You have to be able to laugh about it. And for me, that was one of those things that, and, you know, with, with Freddie Scott reparking that car multiple times, I was like, what, yes. what the fuck are, what the fuck are you doing right now? Yeah. Um, <laughs> like what? And I think yeah, I think that's where I inserted some music in there, like some bad yes. boys music too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> because it was just, you know, you get these odd, these weird freak things. Aside from the crickets, my other favorite thing is when you're like, I've got receipts because yes. you're channeling yes. your inner Real Housewives on of yep. all the all the counties and I love it. I know you don't have cable, so you probably don't watch that, but I don't. I know yeah, I know of it though. But I yeah. mean that's what they do on their reunions. They're like I got receipts and, you know, so I love seeing your personality come out and stuff like that. People probably think that I watch that show now because I used that line so much in one episode, you know, I've got, I've got the receipts and that was a, well, that was a Whitney Houston thing. Oh yeah. They, they didn't come up with that. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, but it, but there's not a more accurate way to be like, boom, gotcha. Yeah. Yes. Except for like the Michael Scott boom roasted, if you watch The Office. <laughs> no, that is one thing you don't watch. Either, yeah. Madonna. I know. Oh, I have goodbye. a night. Fun fact: I don't think I've told anybody. <laughs> I don't think I've told anybody this. So you know, I went in to talk to Kristen Bechtold's mother's ex-fiance. You know, I go in there. I've trying to remember if I had my fake boobs then or not, because that helps. <laughs> I mean, let's. 
let's be honest here. Mm-hmm. Um, with men, it, it helps because they're caught off guard. <laughs> I go in there, you know, I had on like a nice skirt and I had worn like, they were respectable heels. I wasn't, you know, it wasn't anything flashy, but I go in there and that's when you can hear my heels like clacking on the floor. And then as soon as I'd finished his interview and I'm so nervous because it was so awkward, it was so awkward. I get out to the parking lot outside of his business and it's gravel and oh. I about ate it so hard. Oh my God. Um, oh my God. I, I like rolled my ankle and of oh. course, you know, I've got, yes, I've got, you know, a bag full of stuff because I didn't know maybe he was going to let you record. Well, you know, I didn't ask to record him. Um, yeah. <laughs> thank you. Th- thank you, West Virginia for being a one party consent state. It's good to know your laws. <laughs> nice. Yes. Um, but I had wondered if maybe he wouldn't be open to the idea of me. So, you know, I had my equipment with me. So I had that big bag and I get almost to my car and I rolled my ankle and I was just, I looked around. I was like, please, nobody, like nobody has seen that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Cause you know, here I am trying to play like Nancy Drew and be serious. about it. <laughs> this is totally off subject, but what was your regular job? Oh, okay. So I, uh, I moved to Europe and I was a nanny for two years in Germany and then Greece. And then that's when I was hitchhiking after that for like a solid two months. I hitchhiked through, yeah, about 3000 miles through Eastern Europe. That gives me so much anxiety. Well, here's the thing. It's a little more the norm over there. People still do hitchhike. I would never, never hitchhike in the U.S., like, sorry, it's just, we, we're really into murder. We are, we're yeah. really good at it. You know, when you look at murder rates, we, we're the best. We're number one. Mm-hmm. So I would never do it here, but I, I'm not sure. I was probably in close to f- like 50 cars over the course of that two months. And I only really had one bad experience and I did, I got to punch a guy. So that's always fun. Um, wow. But yes, it wasn't in the face. It was his hand. I should say that it sounds like I'm a lot tougher than I am. Um, but I got out alive. That's good. He was, he knew if he let me out of his car, like he wasn't going to be able to keep up with me. He was, he was a larger man, not like physically fit. So I think he knew if he, if he pulled over, you know, and and it's Germany, you can't just like go buy a gun there. So, you know, I don't, yeah, if he wanted to stab me, that would have been fine, but he didn't have a gun and, and I knew it. So, but so, you know, I did that for a long time. I, you know, after I moved back to the U.S., I waited tables at Olive Garden. So I served up chicken Alfredo and chicken Parmesan and breadsticks. <laughs> I, I was, I've also been like a man, a retail manager and I bartended for a very short time at that strip club. Not my favorite job, actually. You would think it would be, um, <laughs> My favorite job is the one I most recently had, and I just finished there really in the last two weeks. So I am moving to a podcast network. I am podcasting full-time now, but I was working at a doggy daycare. So yes, my, you know, I'm the craziest dog person you'll meet. I don't want to say I've never met a dog I didn't like, because once you're around 70 dogs at a time, there's inevitably going to be a couple dogs that you don't really care for. Yeah. Um, you know, yellow labs will test your patient's level. <laughs> really? Um, yes. Yeah. But I can't even think about it too hard just because it's still a little bit fresh, but I have, I love those dogs. Those dogs are like my own dogs. I would die for a bunch of them. Not, not oh. all of them. But yeah, so it was a cage-free doggy daycare at one of the locations. There's two locations and the other one has overnight boarding as well. And they've got like web, like webcam type 
system set up so you can watch your dog like from your yeah, desk at work or if cute. you're on vacation in Florida you can log in and see what your dog's doing at any time of day so it's very it's very cool very cool stuff and yeah congratulations it's fun on the podcast like on the yeah, podcast network you. and yeah time like that is so huge that is that's yes. amazing it's a little, um, like I said, I'm good at imposter syndrome mm-hmm. um, and self-sabotage. So I've got to overcome those things pretty yeah. soon. But no, it's a great opportunity. I'm really excited. Yeah, it's going to be good stuff. And, you know, now that I'm able to monetize my podcast, which I struggled with for a long time, I felt really bad about doing that because I didn't want to piggyback off of somebody else's grief, right. off of, you know, someone else's death, whether it was an accident or murder, just you know, and Kim Davis has been so good to me and, you know, in in trusting me with her daughter's story, I didn't want to abuse that. And even though she and I talked about monetizing at the beginning and she's fine with that, it's just, um, it felt sleazy, I guess. So, and then I realized like, if I want to tell stories full time, if I want to, you know, I have other projects in the work, other podcasts, I I've got to be okay with making money from you know my right absolutely my project that's been successful so far yeah 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 I mean it's your time and your effort and your energy and your I mean yes absolutely yeah Yeah. so do we get to know what network you're on or is that top secret still I don't think it's top secret it's audio boom so um they work with Oh gosh, what a dumb people town. If you've listened to dumb people town, that's, you know, on, on their network. So from what I understand, they're picking up shows that have, you know, are already established shows. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and they've got some true crime stuff on their network as well. So, you know, obviously check that yeah, out. I've heard of audio be, for sure. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So they reached out to me actually right after Georgia had plugged my podcast. Thank you, Georgia. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Um, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. So that's exciting. And there's other, there's other stuff going on. So, um, I've got two podcasts in the works right now out in Los Angeles. I was able to record for the comedy true crime project that I am working on. And it's all about stupid criminals. Cause you know, I started using the phrase bad at crime when my Mm -hmm. best friend would ask me, ask me about the Julia Davis case. She's like, well, why did X, Y, and Z happen? And I was like, well, you know, bad at crime. So yeah, it kind of yeah. became like this, this like running joke between us. And I was like, that's what I'm going to name this podcast. So it's called bad at crime. Um, oh my God, I love and it. every episode is going to have a guest. So, so far I've recorded with my best friend. I've recorded with Paul Haynes, who was Michelle McNamara's researcher on I'll be gone mm-hmm. in the dark. And with Stephen Ray Morris of uh, <gasps> exactly oh right. Yes. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So, and his story's great. You're really going to love the story that he tells. You know, we each tell a story. It's very, you know, MFM-esque as far as, you know, one person tells a story or you can tell multiple short stories, but it's all about actual criminals that got caught in just ridiculous ways. So oh my really gosh, that's stupid so funny. people. Because, you know, there's no shortage of stupid criminals at all. No. 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 So, oh the, do not wait. Yeah. Yeah, that's going to be like a, that's like my my fun like lighthearted one and and the also the premise is also to get drunk while you're telling the stories. <laughs> oh. so, so kind of like a drunk history but a little uh, yes, but drunk stupid criminals. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is even better. Yeah. It's like drunk history meets MFM meets dumb people town. So, but I don't want to hype it up too much because, hey, maybe, maybe in the end it's just not that funny. <laughs> you know, I am on it. So, um, oh, no, you're funny. 
uh, yeah, it's a particular niche market, I think. But the other project I'm working on, which may turn into like a running series, but they're going to be shorter as in, you know, think Dirty John type four or five episodes. Mm-hmm. This is another another story close to home. You know, I talked in the third episode about the man that exposed himself to me at the library. Yes. And I recently, I want to say January or February, got in touch with his daughter online. <gasps> What? Yes. So I knew through the detective that had worked that case, you know, they had, they had arrested him. I, that's where I'll pat myself on the back, caught my first criminal at yeah. 13. Yeah. You know, I, like I said in the podcast, I thought I was Clarice Starling. I think I might still think that. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's fine, but I, I got in contact with her and I just had no idea the extent of her story. I knew that he had sexually abused her, but it went so much further beyond that it was it was you know actual rape it was molestation he was exploiting her online Um, and and, you know after the physical abuse ended things still carried on for a long time with him trying to reach out to her and just manipulation so she wanted to tell her story and I was like well that's great because I'm a podcaster so perfect and we met up in New York City when I was there at the Death Becomes Us True Crime Festival and I sat down with her one morning and recorded for several hours and she was so brave she's incredible you know she and I are actually the same age and I I thought for a long time she was much younger than I am and you know to realize that she and I were were the same age and for for me that I had that one experience with him but that was just the tip of the iceberg right and yeah. it wasn't that what happened to me in the library exposed her abuse but it was a slow kind of change you know kind of like chain of events that had yeah. that happened that and, and the library incident helped her mom to kind of you know she she came forward and told her mom her mom didn't catch on to the abuse uh which will be explained in the podcast but um it kind of helped to like solidify the story she told her mom you know if there was any doubt coming from her mom's end that the library incident kind of took that away still the deal so, yeah yes and um i've been put in touch with a DA out in Contra Costa County that is going to give me some expert opinion on child sex crimes as well. So you're going to get a mix of, you know, this woman's story of what happened to her at the hands of her father, but also what can we do to kind of catch on to abuse? How can we support victims? You know, how can we help? So. Wow. That sounds amazing. Do you have a title for that one yet? I don't. It's women telling their stories me as a woman putting it together in a package for you. And also you're going to be hearing expert opinions on these things. That is going to be so, amazing. Like I need that. It's going to be now. heavy. <laughs> it's going to yeah. be heavy. So I got, you know, I'd started editing the audio and I got 20 minutes into it and just shut my computer. I was like, that's it's too, it's enough for tonight. It's, it's very, very heavy. And I'm not sure that there's a way to make that situation lighter, except for trying to, you know, the solution is going to be education, I guess. Wow. That's going to be so powerful though. Like you said, females telling their story, you producing it and honestly, mostly females consuming it. And that's, yes, that's amazing. So that kind of brings up something I was thinking about with Mm -hmm. even the mom marker 181 is, you know, like, how are you, like, what are you doing for your mental health? Like, how did you handle, I mean, cause I know that that interview (laughs) with, with Kim Davis had to have been 
so heavy. And especially when she broke down and you could tell that she never breaks down. And so that was like, oh, so, she's powerful. so tough. Yes. Yeah, and she's so very like, tough. how are you processing all of that? And I, that, that's, it's heavy. Like you said, I mean, that's the only way to describe it. And so how, like, how are you taking care of your mental health and to process things? Well, I will say, you know, I was already, I, I, I have anxiety. I was already medicated for anxiety before this podcast, but I have upped my dosage since then. Um, yeah. Because, and that's not even necessarily the story. That's just the whole putting yourself out there and reading what people have to say about it. And yeah, I, mean, I don't have to, I don't have to tell you guys how that goes. <laughs> it's, you know, you're putting your heart and soul into something and then people are shitting on it. So yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. So, you know, that, and I just, some, you know, I, I enjoy my alone time as well. Mm-hmm. I'll go to Target. I'll get at Starbucks. I'll walk around alcohol. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that counts as self-care. I mean, and, and it's, yeah. But I have taken, you know, as you've seen, I haven't put out an episode in about three months. I had to step away from it. I also did that so I could remain unbiased. So I kind of had to back away and just take some time and be like, well, you know, is this what I believed happened? And just kind of just kind of clear my brain from it. And that was the time I spent building these other projects and traveling. So and just kind of taking some time for myself. So but yeah, and obviously I'm hanging out in a hot tub, I guess. But yeah, I was going to live your best life. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. I, uh, I wish I could say that I was using tattoo therapy, you know, I'm, but I don't have the money for that right now. Right. (laughs) That would be, that would be my number one choice in, um, in self-care is just tattoos. But no, I, I did. It was amazing getting to go out to LA and New York and, and spend time with people, um, and just watch those shows in New York and get sunburnt and all that stuff was a really good time. (laughs) I got to, I got to meet, um, John Douglas in person. So I I was like, all right, this is, this is good, you know? And actually if you've watched, have you guys watched Mind Hunter? Yes. Yes. Okay. So, uh, the Bill Tinch character is played by Holt McCallany and apparently he listens to the podcast, you know, we follow, yeah, we, I don't understand it. Um, (laughs) but he is very into true crime and I'm sure he probably was to begin with, but especially for that role, the impression that I get is he does a lot of research for that role. And I, ran into you know i invited him to this john douglas event in new york and he's like well i'm already going like i'll see you there so i get into the lobby of this like um town hall and i hear oh my god is that emily nestor and i was like oh jesus and then he introduces me to john douglas's son john douglas jr um and and i think he's gonna come on bad at crime as well he's got great stories as uh growing up as john douglas's son inside the behavioral science unit at the fbi i i mean hilarious wow. shit yes i don't want to give away any of the stories because they're so funny and i'm not going to do it justice <laughs> so i got i got to go out to dinner with them um and then of course we had john douglas's kids and then we had the, the murder squad at the table so wow. it was it was it was great company and and as if you've listened to murder squad they you know i'm not gonna not tell the story sorry that they told it first but billy jensen looks back and he's like is that stephen colbert and Stephen Colbert was at the next Holy table over. Shit. <laughs> oh my gosh. And I had a role. I was so, I, I was drinking in New York. I was exhausted and, and, and mentally exhausted from the recording and all that. And I had on like ripped jeans, 
like whatever makeup was left from the night before (laughs) was on. And I didn't expect to be at dinner with John Douglas. Yeah. So I look over and I'm like, of course, this is the time that Stephen Colbert is at the next table over. Yeah. So I'm, I'm positive we... I know he was listening to our conversation because it was a lot of talk about sexual sadist and and rapist and DNA and Golden State Killer and Mindhunter. So he's probably like, what the fuck kind of dinner party is this? (laughs) Wow. What kind of... And and he was looking at his phone and then he and his wife would look up at our table. And I think they were just kind of trying to figure out at the table who everybody was. They were Um, probably texting each other. (laughs) Yeah, well, Holt, you know... Holt's been in plenty of things. People, you know, yeah, and it was yeah. great. You know, he, he made a joke at that John Douglas event. Um, it was Amanda Knox and Damien Eccles were there, you know, as exonerees. And the, everybody everybody in the audience was stopping Holt to take pictures because, of course, these are all true crime people and they've all watched Mindhunter, which yeah. I can't wait. Se- season two. Yeah. I'm, I know. I'm I can't really wait. I, yeah. It's sooner than later. That's all I'm going to say. But they're all trying to take pictures with him. And he was like, yeah, you know, that's why I come to these events just because it's like my target audience. That's I'm just coming here <laughs> so, for the, for the attention. Oh my gosh. <laughs> no, so funny. he's a great guy, you know, and, and he, he bought everybody's dinner. God bless. So oh my gosh, I, w- I listen, I wish Netflix paid my bills, but they, right? they <laughs> don't. <laughs> true, true, true. <laughs> yes. True, true. Must work on that. <laughs> no, no, but he's a great guy. Yeah. He's a great guy. So we had a really nice time. Oh my gosh. Well, speaking of fun, we had some like rapid fire questions that we oh, were going to Sure. Okay. Unless there's anything else that you need to plug or um, want to share. Well, yeah, now that I think about it, I don't think I'm at liberty to say which television series it is, but you will be able to watch um, myself and the Davis family and the current Wood County Sheriff. Uh, He was not working at the time of the the Davis case, but we are all going to be on a network show, one individual episode. Um, And I I don't have a date yet. I don't want to give the name of the show out, but it will be late May or early June. That's what I've been told. So, oh my god, that's exciting! Yeah, that's fun. Yeah, and that's going to be great. That's going to give so much exposure to the case, and we'll see what happens after that. Okay, all right. Well, all right, I'm ready. Favorite tattoo that you have? Oh, I have a death head moth across my chest now. The the moth from Silence of the Lambs. Yeah, uh-huh. I've seen that on you. Yeah. You know, you always reference that movie, and I just watched it for the first time. <gasps> what? I know. I know. Yes. No. Yes. I've um, had- there's that's. Yeah, that's weird. There's been several people recently that told me like they've either never seen it or they just watched it. And that's an, that's another person who really you guys should talk to is um, Celine, who is doing the Theodore documentary about Ted Bundy. And she just watched that movie, I think, for the first time last year. And I was like, get out. Like, I can't speak to you anymore. <laughs> well, I know. I think I watched that movie for the first time when I was like five years old. So I don't know how yeah. she's never seen it. Yeah. And I was like was so 11 good. or 12. Yeah, 11 or 12. Yeah. That's actually what I put on for self-care. That's another self-care thing is, you know, if you see me tweet, if you see me tweeting about silence of the lambs, I am, you know, I'm relaxing. (laughs) Nice. Okay. What is your favorite or like your guilty pleasure TV? Uh, I love, 
I love Jane the Virgin, which I'm not, I don't feel that guilty about it. It's just a really smart show. It's clever. (laughs) I just watched an episode today and I'm so invested in that show. I'm like screaming at my computer watching it. You know, I stream it, you know, the day after it comes (laughs) out and I'm like waiting for it to upload online. But my husband makes so much fun of me for that show because it's a telenovela, but it's so good. It's so good. And uh, Legally Legally Blonde is another one. Oh yeah. Oh God. Yeah. Love. Favorite pizza topping. I'm vegetarian. I just do cheese. I'm like the only person that doesn't like pizza. Is that weird? We can't talk to you. Bye. No. <laughs> and end interview. No. Yeah. And, cl- and click. Sorry. Yeah. Bless your heart. You just hadn't had really good. No, I'm just no, Don't you no. hate when people say that when you're like, I don't like something. They're like, you just hadn't had really good blah, blah, blah. And you're like, no, I just don't like yeah, it. Yeah. No, I know what I like and I don't like You it. just haven't been with the right man yet. Oh, oh yes. <laughs> <laughs> you're yeah. not him. favorite podcast oh I, I, I gotta say my favorite murder i mean that's yeah but but um, serial yeah. if i'm wanting something more serious but my favorite murder always always Same. and forever other than olivia benson who is your favorite law and order character oh god i don't know law and order well enough anymore but i i loved her partner elliot yeah really right? yeah. yeah yeah i don't it was a good back and forth. It yeah, good back I can see forth. that. And I'm really only an SVU girl. I don't yeah, go into the. I don't branch out from that. So I used to love Law and Order, like when Jerry Orbach was on there. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh! And then I don't know, but now I'm only SVU. I never liked Criminal Intent though. Oh no, 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 no. But I tell you though, I'm sure and, now I'd watch them all probably. But yeah, <laughs> well, and I always liked Munch on SVU because oh yeah, he was always. Like, I just love his conspiracy theories. And like, <laughs> you know what I mean? I just love his, like, gruff, like, yeah. Er. yeah. Well, I'm working my way through Criminal Minds for the first time right now. Yeah. So. Yeah. I like, I've, I've watched Criminal Minds since the beginning. Favorite ice cream? I don't like ice cream either. What the uh, hell? I'm we can't sorry. No, <laughs> actually, I did. <laughs> there's an, this is, <laughs> this is. There's an exception to that. I do love Chunky Monkey by Ben and Jerry's. Okay, okay, that's a good one. That's a good one. I'll eat. I'll eat Chunky Monkey, but it, that banana chocolate combination is real good. Yeah. Oh, have you ever had banana and peanut butter sandwiches? Yes, I have, and I'm not mad about that either. Or yeah, just banana, with, banana with peanut butter. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so freaking much, Emily, for being oh. on our show. We love your podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. This has been really of fun. I wish we, people would ask me to do this like every week. That's easy. That's, <laughs> that's, that's easy work. That's fun work. Mm-hmm. We cannot wait to see all the new projects you have coming out. Oh my God. I'm very stoked about them. Same. Thank you. Thanks. I've just got to buckle down now and put some elbow grease into it and get all this <laughs> shit done. <laughs> no, you know what? I actually just realized, because um, you guys do paranormal stuff too, and I haven't even touched on that. I have a very simple, you know, I don't buy into ghost stories, but I know that it must be a thing because I had a ghost experience um, when I worked at the strip club. <gasps> yes. So, no one, you know, and, and I think people feed off of each other's energy. Like if somebody's scared of ghosts, then they freak everybody else out. And it yeah. becomes like, it's like, this isn't actually a thing. You're just all feeding off each other's energy. 
So, you know, I would get in early to open up the bar and to like pull all the caps off the bottles. And we would also have to go around and like wipe down, you know, everything's covered in fucking mirrors in the strip club. (laughs) Every fucking stripper puts their hands up on the mirrors when they're giving lap dances and all this stuff. So, well, I mean, they got to hold themselves up. Shit, that's a lot of work. I get those kind of quads. Sure, (laughs) sure, sure. That's why I'm not a stripper. I mean, among other reasons, but I don't have the upper body strength or Mm -hmm. the lower body strength or the dancing skills. Right. Um, (laughs) Yes. Or the stomach or it. White white girl dancing. I mean, I've got the boobs now, but I had to pay for those. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So I was new there when this happened and nobody had told me about this supposed ghost you know and i i'm I'm very very skeptical of shit like that but i can only know what happened to me and and i there's a video i actually could send you too i think i still have it somewhere this had this place had to be fucking fucking haunted so you would get weird feelings anyways when you're around that many mirrors because the way that they split and sometimes it's you and sometimes it's somebody else or you Mm -hmm, think it's somebody else but it's actually you it was like a funhouse mirror type thing and i did not fucking like it but that that only really freaked me out after the ghost pulled my hair um Yes. So the way that the bar was set up was it was in the very corner of this big square room. Like the whole place was just a rectangle. And then the bar itself, there was a lot of space behind the bar. It was, it was kind of like a diamond shape, if you know what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. And you had to go past one little corner to get in behind the bar to like walk all the way to that edge and get around. And there was, you know, I had just turned around to go back to like the the computer to type a drink in. And I had longer hair at the time, but I just felt somebody like yank my hair really hard. And I whipped around already laughing, thinking that it was like one of the bouncers or dancers just like fucking with me. And I whipped around and it was nobody like everybody else is like on the other side of the fucking room. Oh my God. And I was like, And I was like, well, that's fucking weird because, you know, and there were mirrors on that too. And I didn't see anybody behind me in the mirror, like behind the liquor bottles, there were mirrors. So I was just like, that's weird, but I'm not going to like freak out about it. I didn't even mention it to anybody for probably like a couple more weeks until somebody said, oh, that's like somebody was talking about, oh, well, that's just Ernie, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, Ernie. And they were like, oh yeah, that's what we call the ghost we have here. And I was like, I'm sorry, what ghost? She's like, (laughs) She said, you know, we, there is a ghost and it's mostly upstairs and that's where I'd have to clean like the room that was entirely mirrored. Like, Mm -hmm. and I hated going in there because there were like private, like VIP booths and they had curtains that like pulled on part Mm -hmm. of it and like, and like a little sofa and like a champagne bucket, you know, strip, strip club things. Just, just just strip club things. So I would always feel like somebody was, you know, in that. And I was always prepared to see somebody behind me in the fucking mirror after that. Um, But they called, they called him Ernie and we would call him our, our eternal VIP. (laughs) Um, That, that was Ernie. Ernie definitely pulled my hair that day, you know, just as like a greeting, like, Hey, hello, I'm here. You know, and I don't buy into that. I don't believe people are like, you know, there's some people that you meet and they're like, Oh, that house I lived in was haunted. I'm like, okay, fuck off. It wasn't haunted, but that (laughs) there was no explanation for it. Like it was hard enough that it yanked my hair, that my head went back a little bit. Like it was hard. Yeah. And after that, like towards the, I I did not work there long. It was like four or five months. I, I didn't, it was bad. You know, when you're cleaning up stripper blood off the bar after like a bar fight, you're pretty much done. (gasps) Oh, Uh, uh, uh. Yeah. 
Yes. Yeah. So right towards the end, the owner of the strip club was up in his office because the second floor like split, you know, half of the VIP stuff and like lap dance area. And then there was like the women's like, you know, like a locker room and then his back office and the outside door. And it's hard to explain, you know, but the, the way his desk was set up was to be able to like reach his door like you'd have to be like right up against it. And the way that the light kind of like shone in the room, if he had been standing next to the door, you would have seen a shadow immediately on this video. But in this video, cause there were security cameras everywhere that his door just rips wide open and you oh can't see like anything blowing around in the background. And you can actually see the owner get up and walk into like the frame, like his shadow on the ground to get up and close that door. So it's like obvious that he wasn't anywhere nearby. You like see his shadow approaching the door. Wow. Um, And it's also like, not like a flimsy door. It's not like a screen door. It's like a door with like an electronic lock and everything on it. So I'll I'll have to send you the, I'll have to send you the video, but yeah. Yes. Oh my God. Yeah. (laughs) That's earning the eternal VIP. (laughs) Wow. Carrie is the skeptic. I'm the believer. I'm the person who's, that's haunted. This is haunted. And Carrie's like, no. I tend to do all her shit. Yeah, you do. (laughs) Yeah. And and that's how my brain works as far as the paranormal stuff goes, I guess, in true crime as well. But um, yeah. Although, I, I, and here's where I get weird is I totally think the owl killed Kathleen Peterson. Like, I am no! a full on white owl. I almost asked yeah, you I think the owl that. did it. Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, my I, God. I, yep. Yep. I think the owl did it. I have a t-shirt that says the owl did it. The fucking owl did it, man. He definitely did it. That is so funny. <laughs> we actually have a shirt in our merch store about the owl, too. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'll have to look at it. I love that theory. It's just... I mean, I know it's ridiculous, but just let me, just let me have this one thing, <laughs> this one crazy theory. <laughs> yep. I was going to ask you, is it Michael? Is it his son or is it the owl? Well, now we know folks. It's the fucking owl. The owl did it. Watch <laughs> out. Thank y'all so much for going on this journey with us. And we hope you really enjoyed this impromptu interview We really enjoyed it. It was something completely different. And I did like that we had a little theme going with Mm -hmm. our stories. Not saying we do that every time, but if we have an interview like this. Yeah, definitely up for it. Yes. And again, thank you so much to Emily for letting us interview and popping all the cherries. (laughs) And remember. Creep it real. And don't don't get scared. scared.